0: If you would turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 20, verse 19 is where we find ourselves this morning. And we're getting slowly getting closer and closer to the end of the Gospel of Luke. And we'll probably be talking about the resurrection at Christmas and Christmas and and the resurrection day, we'll probably be talking about the birth of no <laughs> one. We're kind of on a backward schedule here, but Anyway, let's go before the Lord and we'll pick it up in verse twenty, uh, verse 19 of chapter 20. Father, we now thank you for this time, Lord, that we get to gather together. We ask that you would do that great work, Father, move in our hearts and our midst, Lord, as we just uh, come now and set this time apart to spend time together uh, in your word, Lord. We ask that your spirit would just move in our hearts and in our midst, Lord, and do the great work you want to do uh lord in our lives and we thank you so much for it so bless this time for we ask this in jesus name amen amen all right so we are chapter 20 we've uh, are are really just um, um the religious leaders challenging jesus and we started off last time with the uh jesus going in the triumphal entry and then he cleared out the temple um we know that was the second time, the Gospel of John tells us he did it very early in his ministry and then at the very end here. Um, uh, and uh, the religious leaders were very upset and they asked him, what authority do you have? And he asked them a question back and so they were asking some direct questions. Uh, and then he gave an illustration, a story uh, that described the nation in Israel. And verse 19 tells us that the chief priests and the scribes that very hour sought to lay hands on him, but feared the people, for they knew that he had spoken this parable against him. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be righteous that they might seize on his words in order to deliver him to the power and authority of the governor. So again, they they came at Jesus Uh, asking him what authority he had, and he asked them another question. He answered their question with a question, you know, talking about John's baptism. Was it from man or was it from God? Because he knew it wasn't really an honest question. And then, again, Jesus told that story, illustrating their hearts and what would happen to the nation as a whole. And so, really, that was their straightforward question, to him, and since that didn't get them anywhere, they resorted to now trying to trap him with, uh, you know, uh, supposedly unanswerable questions. And of course, as we read through these things, you can hear the s's and the snakes slithering around, you know, <laughs> like in the garden, you know, just trying to trap him uh, in in these questions. And again, it's nothing new. Don't you know? Don't be surprised when people ask you these what they consider unanswerable questions. Uh, some of them are quite ridiculous and dumb. Uh, you know, can God make a rock big enough he can't pick up or something? You know, uh, yeah. how many you know, you guys have heard that one before? You know, all the dumb questions. I, I know a few of them are just popping in my mind that I've been asked over the years. You know, and most of those really aren't honest questions. Um, they're just there to make you look bad in front of other people or just to make that other person think they're so much smarter than you. But... Um, I have some kind of witty answers to most of those because i don 't really think they consider them to be honest questions, um, but then there are those that just you know obviously want to kind of trap you in some way, and that 's exactly what 's going on here but trying to imagine trapping jesus it 's just kind of hard to think that people have uh, are so um, uh, ridiculous that uh, <laughs> they 're trying to trap Jesus <laughs> you know. But uh, again, just shows you how little they knew about him and how little they wanted to. And so, so now comes the, the two trap questions, if you would, and we'll look at them this morning here. So, verse 21 of chapter 20 of Luke says Then they ask him, Teacher, we know that you say and teach rightly, and you do not show personal favoritism, but teach the way of God in truth. So is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? So, you know, here comes a question and, you know, here's the buttering up, right? Oh, let's butter him up a little bit. We know you do right. We know you tell the truth. We know you're such a good guy and all this kind of stuff and you're wonderful and everybody thinks you're wonderful and all that kind of stuff and... Boy, you know, just that's a a build up to let you down, right? You know, uh, it's just just the arm being wrapped around you before the knife goes in your back, right? (laughs) That kind of a thing. So, you know, the buttering up and we know you tell the truth. And so we know you're going to tell the truth here. And of course, it's a big setup. And the question is, should we pay taxes to Rome? And let me just remind you. Uh, that I don't need to remind you, but nobody wants to pay taxes. I don't know about you. I look at my, you know, the state, right? I don't want to pay taxes personally. I get paid once a month with the state. Believe it or not, we're on that antiquated, um, you know, system of getting paid once a month. So, uh, you know, in our life, you have money at the beginning of the month, and by the time the 25th, the 28th rolls around, you know, uh, when's the first going to come, you know, uh, kind of a thing. But, um, you know, and then you look at the taxes they take out and all that. Nobody likes to pay taxes, right? Um, it's funny, you know, of course, you've probably been following in the news that, you know, the challenge to Elon Musk, and he's he, he's more vocal, uh, you know, particularly on Twitter than most. But remember, they just put that challenge to him. I said, well, you should just, I forgot the guy's name that put the original challenge. Now Bernie's picked up on it, Sanders of Vermont. Um, Senator but you know hey sell you know you know was it eight billion dollars or six billion dollars worth of your Tesla stock since you're the world's richest guy and give it to the world uh, the UN world end world hunger if you did gave your if you just gave six billion you know everything would be great like that and and uh, you know he had some witty answers to that and but the bottom line is that he wasn't going to part with his money <laughs> and he's well worth what two hundred and fifty or well, I don't know what it is today, somewhere like billion dollars, some insane amount of money, you know, and, and he wasn't willing to to part with any of it, uh, and of course, his second in line, Bezos, seems to be even worse with his money, but I don't know those guys from the <laughs> Hill of Beans, but um, anyway, you know, again, nobody wants to part with their money, whether you have $200 billion or $200, you know, going to taxes isn't something we want our hard-earned money to go towards, generally speaking, um, you know. And so, uh, again, uh, the Jews, even more so, so now you have to kind of think, I guess we kind of do it, California is a very high-tax state, I don't have to tell anybody that, um, but, you know, it's kind of like, you know, we have to pay California taxes, and then we have to pay U.S. taxes, and of course, uh, in our area, you know, there's even, uh, more taxes, uh, you know, on top of that with county and city. I, I think I told you the story, but, um, when, you know, Schneider and Mark, uh, uh transferred the car to Ethan, I, I, looked up online, um, how many taxes or what, what it would pay just to transfer the title. Um, and, and it, Pulled it up, asked for your zip code and all this kind of stuff, and you know there was thirteen taxes on transferring that car title from the Vringes to the Smiths. Thirteen. Now some of them weren't much, but there were two city taxes, two county taxes, a bunch of and a bunch of state taxes. Thirteen individual taxes to move that car, and uh, and. Uh, Again, okay, I don't know why I'm going off on taxes all of a sudden here. It's not part of the story here. But you don't know, understand that. We understand that. We get that. All this kind of stuff. Of course, the Jews, you know, they didn't want to pay. They had to pay, you know, taxes, if you would. That supported the Jewish temple and, and some of the, the Jewish society. So there was already that tax kind of in the law. It had been around for a long time. But they couldn't stand paying any taxes to Rome. And, uh, and Rome, of course, demanded them to pay taxes. So... That's a tough question. The Jews hated to pay taxes to Rome. The Romans demanded them to pay taxes. And so it's one of those questions that you're in trouble no matter how you answer. You know, you're in trouble if you answer positive, you're in trouble if you answer negatively. If you answered positive, yes, we should pay Rome, then the Jews are going to hate that. Hey, we don't want to pay Rome, and blah, blah, blah. If you say no, then they're going to get you know the Romans after you. You're, you're doing insurrection. You're trying to tell people not to pay taxes to us. So it, it would seem like a very tricky question, and today's politician would answer almost 100% across the board. If that question was asked to them, they would say, No comment, right? (laughs) That's how everybody would answer it today, right? When they don't want to say something, they say, no, I have no comment on that. (laughs) But that's not Jesus. He doesn't answer with the no comment. (laughs) Or I'll have to get back to you on that. Or we're working on that. But, you know, that's typically how all the politicians get out of these very difficult questions, right? Most of it is no comment. But not Jesus. And so verse 23 says, But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, why do you test me? So, you know, instead of no, no comment, Jesus knows it's a trap and knows that they're doing that to trap him. He understands all that. And, and, and then he answers the question. Verse 24, he says, Show me a denarius. And whose image and inscription does it have? And they answered, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God, the things that are God's. I, I just love that. Instead of the no comment and he knows it's a trap and he sees their duplicity and all that kind of thing. And he sees that they're, you know, they're just trying to trap him. You know, he basically says, okay, I want you to show me, uh, you know, a denarius, the, the, the Roman coin. And here, here's what one looks like. Um, a half a shekel, um, you know, of what it looked like during those times. And it would have a picture typically of one of the Roman uh, Caesars there, or, you know, maybe one of the great generals if they did something great. Here's maybe a closer picture of of one uh, during that time. And he says, show me this coin. So they show him this coin, and Jesus answers, get this. Jesus tells them, this is Caesar's stuff. This is Caesar's stuff. The coin's in his hand. This is Caesar's stuff. Do what is right with Caesar's stuff. You, you have an obligation. This is his. Look, he's got his inscription. This, all, all, all this stuff has to do about them. You do the right thing. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, you know, what belongs to God You know, give to God and the things that are uh, and to God, the things that are of God. So he said, this is Caesar stuff, right? You do the right thing with it. But you do also do the right thing, the things that belong to God. And what belongs to God in our lives? So if I were to ask everybody the question, what belongs to God in our lives? Well, we'd all probably answer everything, <laughs> everything, right? What, you know, everything belongs to him because we're his. And that's the deal we made when we became Christians. You know, it's it's yours, Lord, no longer me, but you living in me. Now that's a battle we fight, you know, on a daily basis and sometimes an hourly basis and sometimes a minute by minute basis, but everything is yours Lord, give to God what's God's. This stuff, this Roman stuff, you know, um, uh, it bears Caesar's image, has to do with him. You do what's right by that. But what belongs to God, make sure that we give him what belongs to him. And that's everything. And I guess the question comes up, what do we give him? And again, we do struggle with that. You know, he wants our time. He wants our availability. He wants us to do whatever he chooses to do at any given day. And it's always good. You know, I have to map, you know, there's a couple things that are a constant battle in my life just because of who I am. And maybe you're like that and maybe you're not, you know, your personality is a little different. But, you know, I I, um, I, I, have a, um, I like... I like order. <laughs> I like, you know, things the way they should be and things the way that, you know, everybody knows in this house that there's certain things. Listen, if when you use it, I don't care what you do with it. I don't care whatever happens. You just put it back when you're done with it, right? And one of my big things, not that anybody touches them very much, but my tools, right? I know where all of them are. I, got them, I know there's... I have a pretty good sized roll away out there and a lot of drawers, but I know where everything is and every one of those things because I put it there and then I, you know, I put stuff in the, in the the garage and boxes and I labeled it. So I pretty much can go out there and I, I, if I need something, I know where to look right away. And, and I like to have that kind of order. um, And that's just kind of my personality of doing things. And so Uh, When I have things planned out, or when I have things I think I'm going to, you know, get done, um, I I have to, and when God comes along and says, no, I'm going to disrupt your day. (laughs) You think you want to do this, this, and this, but I'm going to, you know, cause this to happen because this is what I want to use you for today, and um, you need to be okay with me interrupting uh, what you have planned. And, uh, you know, I take a step back, because sometimes I fight that, and I go, why is this being so miserable? And then, you know, okay, Lord, I, Maybe this is not what you have planned for me, and yet I'm just kind of forcing my way into doing it. And, and again, uh, there's you know, many other things that we could all come up with examples. But the bottom line is, Jesus says here, listen, yeah, when it deals with all these things, that has to do with Rome and the money and the taxes and all that stuff. You do what's right with that, but you also need to do what's right with the things that are God. And the things that are God in our life are everything, and we need to allow Him to be Lord. If that's what we call him, then that's what he needs to be. And that's over everything. And a person should give to God the things that bears his image. And what bears his image in our lives? Ourselves. And I like that. And it's important for us to remember. He puts that on an important level. And, of course, I like what good old J. Vernon McGee has to say about this too. He says, there are two areas in life in which we have responsibility. Man has both an earthly and a heavenly obligation. He has both a physical and a spiritual responsibility. Citizens of heaven pay taxes down here. Pilgrims down here should deposit eternal wealth in heaven. I like that. Pretty simple, pretty clear. And you you know, again, we, we give to Caesars what's Caesars and we give to God's what's God's. And that's pretty much sums up what we're told really in all the New Testament. If we were to take all those verses about how we should be as citizens of this, uh, you know, ambassadors really. We're, 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 we're representing uh, uh, our Heavenly Father in a foreign land, in a home that's not ours because our home is in heaven. and uh, and, and yet we have to as we talked about, you know, uh, in the past weeks about dwelling here, you know, you, we, we do have to live here. We are living here until he calls us home, and so we need to um, also be faithful to him and faithful to what we're called to do here as well. And so you gotta love uh, how Jesus put all that into perspective very simply and concisely, and Well, that's quite the reaction, verse 26, but they could not catch him in his words and in the presence of the people. And they marveled at his answer and kept silent. Because, you know, they're pretty much like us, right? Right now, you, you hear that and you think, man, that's an unanswerable question. It doesn't seem like you could win no matter what you said. And yet, Jesus says the exact right thing that needs to be said, not that was a a surprise there by any means, but, right, everybody heard the answer and knew how true and how amazing it was. It's kind of like, could have had a V8, right? Sorry, do they still do that anymore? I don't know. (laughs) Maybe I'm dating myself on that, right? Oh, yeah, that that makes sense. You know what? I need to do what's right in this world as I live here, but I, I also... Uh, I need to honor God, because honoring God is doing what's right here, and doing what's right here honors God, and just, and, uh, you know, everybody's just, I imagine, like, (laughs) you know, these guys draws, jaws drop, I imagine all the people, like, you know, are marveled at at hearing what Jesus had to say about all this. And if you're a baseball fan, I would call that strike two, right, (laughs) the first... Question: They ask him, "You know, what authority do you have?" Well, they struck out on this one. Uh, they struck out uh, on that first one. They struck out on this one, and um, now they'll try to trap him again. This is the second time, of, uh, third time of coming at him, uh, albeit this one's the more sneaky one. And verse twenty-seven gives us the next story here. Then some of the Sadducees, who deny that there is a resurrection came to him and asked him, saying, "'Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife, and he dies without children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children, and the second took her as wife, and he dies childless. And the third took her in the like manner, and the seventh also, and they left no children and died.'" So they called in CSI. No, they didn't need to because they realized she's killing off her older husband. No, I'm just kidding, right? You see how ridiculous all this is. And then the last woman died, uh, last of all, the woman died also. Verse 32 says So here's their question Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife does she become? For she, I'm sorry, for all seven had her as wife. Okay. So here's the question, and now uh, it comes in the trap. Now this, this trap, these guys are identified as the Sadducees. These are, um, so you had the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Uh, the Sadducees uh, were more political, and they were closely tied with Rome. Uh, the high priest was part of the Sadducee group. But yet um, uh, we know um, uh, that these two groups, although they kind of ruled the nation under, of course, Rome, um, and they were more political, the Sadducees parties, they, they were kind of quite opposite in their beliefs. As a matter of fact, Acts 23, 6-8 through kind of tells us a little bit uh, about uh, their differences between the two. Now Paul, you know, remember he's arrested in the temple, they try to kill him because they thought he brought a Gentile in, and, and then, uh, you know, they arrest him, and then they, you know, he talks to them, they get mad again, and then they bring, the Romans bring him before this, this, the council, uh, you know, and this is how Paul answered them, you know, Paul then knowing that some of them were Sadducees and others were Pharisees, so, you know, he goes on to tell them that he's a Pharisee, but the point of the story is, a dispute, a, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say there is no resurrection, and there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. So, uh, again, we see the difference between the Pharisees and the Pharisees, um, uh, clearly told here in Scripture, and we know that in other places too. But these guys, you know, would be the very liberal group today, the very liberal uh, theologians and very liberal uh, churches today. Um, that, you know, uh, they meet more for a uh, social gathering than they do for... Um, anything else or just out of habit. They don't really believe the Bible. They don't really teach the Bible. They don't believe in much. And that's kind of the Sadducees were. So these are the guys that are asking this question. And I think one of the reasons they're doing this is because they're really trying to poke holes and make fun of the resurrection. Uh, You know, that there's life after death. That, you, know, you know, you believe all this stuff, but you know, it's kind of ridiculous because here's a good example of how ridiculous it could be. So, how how could this work out? Now, what they're speaking of, because it says it does say, you know, Moses wrote, and that's in Deuteronomy 25, okay? So they're quoting what should be done from the Old Testament law. And the idea was, you know, again, big families back then, um, you know, for some reason, one of your brothers dies, uh, he's married, they don't have any children yet. Um, so, you know, and for his sake, one of the brothers is supposed to take on her as a wife, uh, and, and not so much... You know, that they wanted to multiply wives or anything like that. The point of it was that so she could have a child so that this, the man's lineage could continue on and they would continue to have that, that lineage and he could be remembered. That was just very important as the Jews, you know, kept track of all that. Today, um, you know, I, I don't know. Um, uh, I, I know, you know, some people are concerned about that. My brother-in-law who, who watches this, he'll be talking about this, but you know, his last name is Liegler, and um, he's the last male uh, in the whole family with the name Liegler, because all of them had girls, including him. He had three girls, and his cousins, and everybody else, and they tra- tra- traced the family lineage back. You know, uh, There's a couple other males, but there's no there's no uh, next generation of males with that name which um, you know uh, they were um,
1: you know it, it was
0: it was a it was a big thing and you know so people still have a you know that that kind of sense today um, and so that's what God was doing back in the day you know you wanted her to have a child you want the, 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 the one that the loved one that died to, to have this and of course to be married seven different times to seven different brothers is—they're just moving it and just trying to make it sound ridiculous, right? The whole idea here, um, and the whole—the uh, whole question is—it just shows how ridiculous, you know, the idea of life after death really is, because you would have so many problems trying to figure out all this stuff. Um, and so, um, you know, it's just pointing the out and trying to trap him, but it brings up a question about what's going to happen in heaven. And and I want us to know this because, you know, Scripture doesn't give us a whole lot of detail about heaven. It really doesn't. And um, uh, I think this section we'll look at here gives us some pretty good insight because it's coming from Jesus about uh, a little bit about heaven. And hopefully we'll answer your question, Royal, that you you asked before church started here. So let's see how Jesus responds to this. How is this going to work out in heaven, okay, after the resurrection, if, you can, if I can re, restate it there. All right, so here's Jesus' answer, verse 34. Jesus answered and said, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are counted worthy to obtain that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor nor are given in marriage, nor can they die anymore, for they are equal to the angels and are the sons of God, being the sons of the resurrection. Now, I think in this short passage, and this short little answer, it's very important for us to understand this. Because people, as a whole, generally get the wrong idea of what heaven is and you know Jesus is making it very clear here in this short little statement I um you know here's a a a pew survey that goes back to 2014 it's the it's the closest one that um uh the, the, the most recent one, I should say, that uh, that I could find, but you know, somewhere in there, if you look at the numbers, you know, uh, generally overall in the U.S., you know, about seventy-two percent um, believe in heaven. Okay, and you know, among Christians, obviously, it's higher, and in some groups is a little bit lower, but on, an, on average, you know, uh, and just let's just take that as a, as, a, as a rough number to compare it with. So let's just say for argument's sake that 75% I'm rounding up is probably better to round down at this day and age, but let's just for argument's sake say 75% of the people in the United States believe in heaven. Then, if you were to ask one of those people that fall into that category, what happens in heaven? Or what do you do there? Now, a lot of people would Say this, right? Well, you can sit on a cloud and play a harp. You know how hard it was to find a picture that wasn't copyrighted of a cloud, <laughs> person sitting on a cloud with a harp? Sorry, that was like the lamest one. That's like a girly photo somewhere hanging up in some, you know, <laughs> anyway. But uh, it was hard to find one. But, you know, but the point is, you guys see that, is that, you know, I believe the answers are some, of I don't know, You what? You, heaven? Yeah, I believe there's heaven. Well, what do you do in heaven? What's like there? Uh, I don't know. I think you play a harp on a cloud or something, right? That's what I've heard, right? But isn't that true? A lot of people actually, you know, have some kind of strange ideas. Uh, Of course, I thought this was pretty funny, too. I wish I would brought a magazine, because if that's truly what you do in heaven, (laughs) you sit on a cloud and you play a harp, you know, obviously, if you think that out very far, you realize, well, that doesn't sound much like heaven to me, right? But again, um, what Jesus is saying here, and what we really need to, to understand, is that life on earth is completely different than life in heaven, and you can't compare the two. This is what they we do here. That's not what happens in heaven. Uh it, it, you, you, this is what people, how they normally live their lives and what they do and, uh, and, and how they live. But no, it's going to be completely different in heaven. As a matter of fact, it's going to be more, more like angelic beings than, 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 than anything that you could see or compare on earth. And, and that's important for us to learn because sadly, I would get most of those people, of the 75% who say heaven exists you know, um, tend to think as heaven as Earth 2.0, right? They pretty much think, you know what, it's just going to be like this, except take take away some of the bad things, and, you know, that, and that's, you know, uh, uh, heaven. So I could say in today's vernacular, Earth 2.0. And quite frankly, there's there's good reason for this, is because isn't it true that most of the religions of the world teach that? I mean, if you really get into most of the religions of the world, they pretty much teach their eternal state and whatever they might call it as Earth 2.0. You know, there's some upgrades, but it's pretty much doing the same thing. Um, And, 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 you know... uh, Again, you know, I don't want to go into all the debate, but I just a couple things just kind of jump out at you. But the 72 virgins for the uh, Muslims who sacrificed themselves in battle, right? Uh, Earth 2.0, right? Because it's just like, uh, you know, pleasure down here is just, in that case, sexual pleasure, right? Down here is multiplied, you know, arguably a high multiplication factor in heaven, right? Or um, the the Mormons, you know, talk about celestial families, Uh, you know, and your celestial bride or celestial husband, the one you marry in temple is the one you, you know, you're married to eternally and you have baby children that populate planets and all their kind of stuff. And anyway, you know, the two M's pop pop into mind, but you you go about down any religion and pretty much um, the reason a lot of people think that way is because that's what most of them teach. But what Jesus is saying here is that you've missed the point, guys, and to everybody who's listening. Heaven isn't about marriage like we have here on earth with children and the natural state of repopulation because we do need to have marriage and we do need to have children or else we wouldn't be here, right? Because if people stopped having children a few generations ago, we would, none of us would be here, right? And so it's not the, that's the natural order of earth. It's not the order of heaven. And heaven looks more like, in a person's life, and in, a, in an angelic way, uh, their eternal state uh, compared to anything here on earth. Now, we're not going to be angels in heaven. The Bible is very clear the position and place that angels play here on earth and the role that they have with believers and that we are far superior in, in heaven to them. Right? There, there's, there, we're not going to be angels. It's very clear on that. But again, we're not given a whole lot on heaven, and I believe that to be a reason is because it's just outside of our understanding. Um, you know, First Peter, I'm sorry, Second Peter, three ten, kind of gives us a little bit of glimpse, and maybe this will help run the film in your mind, and you can picture this somehow. But it's something we're all used to, that verse we've probably heard many times before. But it says, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in them will be burned up. So again, it just goes to show you that nothing of the material world And and the present age that we're living in is going to be left. It is literally going to all be gone and gone away with on a molecular level. Uh, And it's kind of hard for us to kind of picture that, because I don't know about you, and I I like to think of myself as having somewhat of an imagination, but it's hard to imagine, you know, the the rearrangement or the destruction of matter. Because, you know, they teach us in school, it can't be destroyed, it's just change and move into stuff like that. well let me just tell you, one day it's going to be destroyed, you know, no matter what, uh, you know, your science teachers have taught you and all this kind of stuff, and, 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 and yes, those principles are true now here, and, and to some degree, I, I won't argue that, I'm not trying to say that's not true, but at some point, God is going to rearrange everything, and I believe it's on the molecular level, so nothing is going to be what it was one of the things that we know is that the sun isn't going to be um, it's going to be done away with now all of a sudden you start you start starting thinking about the sun we know one day god is going to be the light but the sun does so much more in our world right not only does it bring light but it brings heat and it brings life and it brings there's just so much that the sun does to keep this little you know, blueberries spinning and going and everything. And without the sun, you know, um, you think uh, polluting the environment is bad. <laughs> just, just turn out the light on, uh, pull the string on the sun and turn that off, right? Everybody would know how devastating it is. But yet we know that one day that's going to all be provided by the Father. And again, it's one of those things that make you think, oh, wait a minute, I really thought about that before, right? I mean, without the sun and reordering elements now and doing away with all that. I mean, we're talking, you know, such a complete change that's outside of the reality of time and space. Let me just say this, it's a completely different order than earth. So when you start asking question, what's heaven gonna be like? And in your mind or my mind or in a person's mind that's talking to you, you know, our our understanding and our relationship is based on what we know and understand and how we can imagine. But the the Bible's pretty clear, and again, we don't get much information, is because you can't really even imagine it. It's 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 a completely different order, a completely different way of doing things, That something that is as much as the Lord can give us that we can understand, you know, is given to us in little bits of information. But most of it is saying it's just completely different order than it is on earth. And, of course, one of the things that Jesus says is there's certainly not going to be any more death. And it starts with the resurrection. Now, some of you may, in the back of your mind, you know, may be asking, wait a minute, okay, husband, wife, heaven... Uh, wait a minute, so no marriage, so what's my husband or my wife going to be to me when we go to heaven? And, um, you know, uh, how is all that going to work out? Well, let's read a little bit more. We'll make a comment on that. Uh, Because Jesus is going to continue answering the question. Verse 37 says, But even Moses showed in the burning bush passage that the dead are raised when he called the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. For he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live in him. So what he goes on to say is not only is it going to be completely different, and the order of things are going to be different. This is the way you do things on earth. It's not going to be like that in the resurrection. You know, there's these glorious bodies, more angelic, uh, no more death. Uh, like like uh, the angelic uh, eternal state, if you would, but in heaven, I also believe it's saying here is that we'll be known, just like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, known who they are, and and somehow, um, you know. Now he's always making a point that. That, that 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 they're alive here, you know. God, they are the God. They are not were the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they're dead now. Because that's what the, you know, these Sadducees thought. Once you, once you die, that's it. You know, the worms eat you up, and you're just in zero existence, right? No, Jesus is answering certainly that question, talking about the you know, the resurrection. There's eternal life, just like when the Father refers to these three great men of faith as being their God present tense, not past tense because they're dead. No, they're alive and and they're not gone. Jesus is using that speaking to them in present tense as if they are, not as if they were. So there's something in heaven that we retain that we know who we are or we retain something of ourselves. And I think another example of that Is remember not too long ago when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to what we call the Mount Transfiguration. And remember, they're up there and they're talking, then all of a sudden, who shows up? Moses and Elijah, right? And the disciples, you know, uh, recognized who they were immediately. They didn't have a name tag on, hi, my name is Elijah, hi, my name is Moses, or whatever. Or Jesus didn't say, let me introduce you to Moses and here's Elijah, you know, like this. They knew who they were. And I think, again, that tells us and pulls back the curtain a little bit. We understand they knew exactly who they were and, uh, and, and, and them. And so, again, I think this tells us not only that, obviously, there's eternal life and there, it's a present tense. He's still their God because they're alive. But also that we take some essence or some part of who we are, you know, into eternity, and so to answer the question about husband and wife and this and that, I, you know, there is no marriage because there's no reason for the institution of marriage. Um, and so, well, what is my relationship going to be? I don't know. <laughs> but what we do know is heaven is going to surpass anything we can understand here. It will be more, not less, Okay we don't lose out when we enter into eternity. We gain everything and and uh, and lose nothing. So I don't know exactly what that means or or how that's going to work out because we're not told. And anything I would say would just be pure speculation on my on my part. But the bottom line is there was some essence or recognition of who they were. Yet again, it's not going to be in earth 2.0 it is going to be something completely different and and, and it's going to surpass anything that we can understand. And so uh, are, are you going to lose anything? Absolutely not. Are you going to gain something? Absolutely by probably more times than a, a factor I want to give it. You know a hundred times a thousand times is probably not going to be enough because it's going to be so completely different it's just outside of our realm of understanding. So what will it be? Well, If I can use the old 70s word or whatever, awesome. <laughs> That's about as good as I can get, right? You know, Paul, when, when he ta- talked about he was called up into, the, into heaven, uh, some believe after his stoning death, and then you know, uh, the Lord took him around, he just basically said, I, I can't describe what I saw. It, it, just, it would be a crime to try to describe it because words can't describe what I saw. It's, I saw the undescribable." And so, uh, you know, I, I kind of leave us on that. You know, it's, it's undescribable. And so when people want to know what heaven's like, not a harp, not a cloud, not this, not that. Anything, you know, you think of earth just on a, a better version of it, throw it out the window. It's not going to be like that. It's going to be so much greater than that, um, that, uh, you know, uh, it, it would, it's just, it's mind-blowing, literally, literally mind-blowing. And so, you know, Jesus says that. And the response, verse 39, then some of the scribes answered and said, teacher, you have spoken well. (laughs) But after that, they dared not question him anymore. So three strikes and you're out, right? There you go. But, but Jesus isn't done, you know. He, he's going to talk about uh, something here as we finish up the chapter. But, you know, let me just tell you, heaven isn't anything that you can understand now. It's so far beyond that. Everything's going to be arranged. Everything's going to be new. And, man, it's going to be, you know, uh, uh, beyond your understanding here. And and they all take a step back and, wow, okay, we can't say anything more. But let me address you now, you, you Sadducees that have come up with this question. Do You think you know all about the Messiah and what He'll do and what, he, what He's like? Let's see what the Scripture really says. So, you know what? I'm going to show you that my answers to these questions, I have the insight and the knowledge to answer them and to know that these answers are truthful. And He'll demonstrate that he's the Messiah, because Scripture really says, uh, and he'll go to the Scripture. And so now he, they're done talking to him, asking him a question. But he asked them. He said, he said to them, "Well, verse forty-one. How can it, they say that Christ is the Son of David?" Now everybody kind of knew Christ was the Son of David. I, I'll put some. Uh, the slide up here, you know the son of David was talked about in Samuel and Isaiah, and Jeremiah, and of course where he came from and Micah, and there's plenty of scriptures that talk about you know uh, uh David, the son of David uh the, the line of the Messiah was going to come through david and and they would know all these things. And I put those up there for for our sake but but it was pretty clear and understood and known very well from the old old Testament that the Christ or the Messiah, you know, Christ is just the the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah, right? So uh, it's not Jesus' last name, it's just a a title, right? Um, So the Christ or the Messiah comes from the son of David. So we know that. And, And again, there's some of the scriptures that talk about that. So if that's true, then verse 42, now David said in the book of Psalms, 110 by the way, if you're Bible probably already puts that there. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, David calls him Lord. How is he then his son? So you ask me these questions about these matters and this matters, and I'm telling you, I can tell you why and know. With all certainty, and you can know with all certainty of who I am, and those to be true is because of who I am, and the only explanation of because uh, you know the, the the Jewish would think, and and typically we would think that way, even to some degree in our society, that you know the the, the fathers, your grandfather, remember they call father they. Anybody that was uh, a generation older than them call, call a father, even though you could be their great-great-great-grandfather or great-grandfather or whatever. The, the term, you know, the Jews would use would be father. And we use that term as well. Um, and so, you know, how could the, the son be greater than the father? And of course, David being one of the greatest there was in the whole nation, but the only explanation can be is being both God... And man. So, how could a man call him Lord when the only title for Lord is reserved for God? So, how could he call him Lord and yet be his father? And again, it's because Jesus is saying the only answer is being both God and man. As eternal God, the Messiah is David's Lord, but as a man, he is David's son. So, this is who I am. And the scriptures say this very clearly. And and I want you to know I have the authority to answer these questions. Well, let's see how they respond. Then, in hearing all of these, hearing of all the people, he said. To his disciples, beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats of the synagogues and the best places at the feasts, who devour widows' houses for a pretense and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Um, So Jesus then says, listen, you ask me these questions It was a strikeout. He even asked what authority I have. In the end, he tells what authority he has, really, in this whole thing here. And why what I say it can be relied on and counted on because of who I am. And after he does that, and of course there's no response from the Pharisees or the Sadducees or any of the religious leaders listening around, he turns to his disciples and says this, you know, watch out for these guys because these guys have an agenda. Um, They don't want to believe, not because there's not ample reason for them to believe. Oh, there's ample reason for them to believe. But the reason they don't believe is because their minds are made up, their hearts are hardened, and their eyes are blind. Because of their hypocrisy and their dishonesty, the scribes and the Pharisees were very dangerous to have around, so Jesus warned the people about them. Listen, you've got to be careful, because they have an agenda, they have a, a plan, and what they want to do is accomplish what they want in life, and they're going to undermine the truth and what's right and what God ordained and what Scripture says, because they're going to keep to their agenda. And let me just remind you, that kind of thinking is alive and well in our society. Just this morning, and I'll finish with this story, um, uh, I was reading a bit of the news and I was sharing with Ethan because uh, the Sacramento Bee had, uh, um, had a headline um, and uh, it said there are 72 hate groups uh, in California. So I thought, okay, what does a Sacramento Bee have to say about what's a hate group? And of course, they, they quote the uh, Southern, maybe help me remember the name, Southern Poverty and Law... Lo- what? The Defense uh, No, Southern, Southern Poverty Law Center. Thank you, that's it. That's the old, that Martin, Lu- uh, Martin Luther King, yeah, Martin Luther King uh, Jr., his, right? Yeah, yeah I knew that. Martin Luther? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking Martin Luther Reformer. Sorry. I can. Anyway, few, a few hundred years off on that date. But anyway, he's kind of started it. It was actually you know those groups that were opposed to you know to the blacks and that whole thing. But now these guys are way way off course. Anyway, I showed Ethan the list because on, on the list is uh, and, and again it's, uh, off the top of my head, what six or ten groups Christian. Groups and churches that we all know are, are are, you know I know of uh, almost all of them as being very godly organizations, right? But they're considered hate groups because of their stand on the homosexual issue, And, uh, and 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 again. But you know the Sacramento Bee has no problem of publishing you know these these you know church groups and Christian organizations. Uh, along with you know ne- neo Nazis and you know all these other crazy you know guys that are you know really whacked out in a lot of ways, but it's the same kind of thing going on in that day as it is going in this day, and we're going to continue to be looked upon as uh, you know a hate group. They want us to have tolerance for everybody. Uh, but Christians, right? And and Jesus is exposing, of course, the hypocrisy here and the danger here is because their hearts and minds are made up. And we'll run into people like that, and we'll run into groups like that, that their hearts and minds are made up, and there's nothing you really can do uh, to change that, because they are stuck, and they love being stuck in there. Now, that doesn't mean we don't pray for them, and we don't share the gospel with them as we have on occasion. Of course, we continue to be bright lights and shining. But just know, you know, Jesus, as he warned against them in that day, there is, you know, in this day, those same kind of people, and some of them are, are, are entrenched very greatly in our society that will come out against us. And the warning is still very appropriate for us today and and, and to be careful of them. And, of course, in this case, they, they hide behind a lot of religious pretense, you know, to get attention. And our society and some... Fashion looks a little bit different. They, they're more environmental heroes or social heroes or this or that. Uh, but the same, kind of, the same kind of vibe, the same kind of place there. And Jesus warns them about that. And I said I'd finish, but just read that last sentence in verse 47. These will receive greater condemnation. I, I just want to point out that the scripture does say this, and I'll just point it out there is degrees of punishment. There's a couple of verses that talk about worse punishment to certain people than others. There's also talks about degrees of rewards in heaven as well. So there's degrees. Just, I point that out. I'm not going to develop that very much because that's a whole study in and of itself. But I do want us to note that, that you know there was a greater condemnation, a greater punishment for those that should know better and have more, and yet choose to not believe and harden their hearts and make up their mind and reject the truth and the gospel, um, and and yet should know better and do that. He says that's just, they're, they're going to receive a greater judgment, and so serious stuff. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we do we do thank you for great this great insight, Father, of of these two stories that, uh, you know, questions that Jesus answers, Lord. We just, we, we want, you know, to give to you what you've called us to give. And what you've given us is, was well said is everything. And Lord, what what should we hold back from you? And of course, we all know the answer is nothing, Lord. Help us to be those people. Yes, we have to deal and work in this world. We have to, uh, you know, we, we, we have to live in this world, we, uh, we're called to live in this world as ambassadors. You haven't taken us home. You could have taken us home as soon as we believed and, and snatched us up into heaven. And, and in some ways, we would maybe like that. Uh, at least I could say that. But Lord, you've called us to, to, to live here so many days uh, uh, and, and to be an influence and have an impact in this world. Let's not forget, Lord, help us not to forget that everything comes from you and we should honor you in everything. And Lord, also, Lord, encourage us this morning and remind us how great heaven is going to be and where our home is and where our treasure is there where our heart be also, you tell us. Uh, we want our heart in heaven. And Lord, it's going to be, there's nothing that we can sacrifice or give away or not, you know, hold back on or miss out on in some way. People, oh, you're missing out on all this. Listen, we are not giving away anything compared to what we receive in heaven. And whatever you choose to have us stay away from or things that we you know, don't get to have or do or whatever in this, in this life, Lord, is, it can't even compare to what you're going to give us in heaven. It just goes beyond our understanding. It's just out of the of reality of time and space and matter that we live in, Lord, you're going to get rid of all that and, uh, and, and give us something so brand new that uh, we can't even imagine how wonderful it is. And may we walk around with that great hope and may we share that great hope. And we know there's going to be those that distract and, and, and try to throw us off course and ask the questions to try to trap us and or, or just, you know, accuse us of all sorts of things, Lord. But help us to be faithful to you, Lord, and, and share the good news until the day you do choose to call us home, Lord. And then, well, everything will be beyond perfect. And we thank you for that, Lord. Draw us close to you, Lord. Remind us. Uh, who you are and what you've done and what your promises are, Lord, that we might just live in them and enjoy them and bask in them daily. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.